Welcome to the Good Divorce Show. Not every divorce needs to end in disaster. It's time to see divorce in another perspective. Here to help with that is your host, Karen McNinney. Hello, thanks for taking time to connect with me today on the Good Divorce Show. We are chatting today with Leah Hadley. She is a nationally recognized financial empowerment expert, is committed to providing personalized, compassionate financial guidance through life transitions, just like divorce. Leah will tell you she's had many challenging financial times in her own adult life, one of which becoming a parent of three overnight through the Foster and Adoption Services Program, also then getting divorced and building a business from the ground up, just to name a few. These have been times when her ability to hunt down appropriate resources and careful financial planning was critical to her peace of mind. And I suspect there are listeners out there today who are just looking for a little financial peace of mind. A former investment analyst, sought-after speaker, and award-winning financial planner, Leah is the founder of Great Lakes Investment Management and Great Lakes Divorce Financial Solutions. As an accredited financial counselor, a certified divorce financial analyst, and a mediator, Leah uses her knowledge and more than 15 years of experience to help her clients make intentional financial decisions. And you too can move through your divorce without so much despair, destruction, or even debt. Tell us how to do it. Welcome to the show, Leah Hadley. Thank you so much for having me, Karen. It really is a pleasure to be here. As soon as we start these financial conversations, I think myself and others start to feel like we're in alphabet soup, (laughs) CDFAs and AFCs and CFPs and IRAs. Like there's so much jargon and language that we're not even familiar with. We don't even know what questions to ask because frankly, we don't know what we're talking about. Can you give us to start with just a broad overview of some of the professionals that we might be running into in our divorce process and who we would most likely want to reach out for, for appropriate services. Absolutely. And there is a lot of confusion around the different financial designations that exist. Certified Divorce Financial Analyst, CDFA, is the designation that is completely focused on how to support people through the divorce process. Um, And there are a lot of financial issues that are very specific to divorce that are not a part of a normal kind of financial advisor education, if you will. Um, And the Certified Divorce Financial Analyst designation does require significant study and exams to pass in order to become a CDFA. But then there's also a lot of continuing education requirements as well. Because things like tax laws change, those impact people's divorce negotiations. You know, there's all kinds of changes that happen. There are new products that come out, new programs that come out. And so really staying up on those things is required of a certified divorce financial analyst so they can best support you through the divorce process. I also chose to become an accredited financial counselor because one of the things that I noticed in working with people going through divorce is regardless of their divorce situation, regardless of their financial situation, It is an emotional time. And a lot of those emotions are very much wrapped up in those financial decisions that people have to make. An accredited financial counselor is that counseling designation. So really working with people and helping them to determine what their goals are, to figure out where the obstacles are, to figure out kind of where they're stuck emotionally as it relates to the money, all of that. The other piece that I really liked about the curriculum for the AFC Um, is there is a lot more focus on debt than really any of the other financial designations. And quite frankly, debt comes up a lot in the course of a divorce, comes up as a surprise, unfortunately, sometimes. Um, But also just trying to figure out, sort it all out, it can be kind of complicated depending on the nature of somebody's situation. And so having additional education in that area was really important to me. As far as kind of who to reach out to, An accredited financial counselor, if you're really struggling with some of the emotional issues around money, you're really struggling with budgeting, figuring out cash flow, an accredited financial counselor can be a fantastic resource for people in that uh, circumstance. But also if you're coming out of a financially abusive relationship, maybe you're sort of rebuilding your relationship with money, that can be a wonderful support. A CDFA is really great at looking at the numbers in terms of negotiating the financials uh, for a settlement and helping you to understand your options, the scenarios to consider, you know, the pros and the cons of the options, things like that. The most common designation I think people have heard of is the CFP or Certified Financial Planner. That's going to be your broad financial planner. 
A lot of times the CF people decide that they're going to specialize in a particular area. They might get more education in retirement, more education in estate planning, business owners, things like that. But it's going to be kind of a broad educational background in financial planning. And you're also trained as a mediator, which and, and Great Lakes Divorce Financial Solutions, I can't imagine a better tool to just help people overcome that emotional hijacking that can take place. And so often we want to, we want to look back. We want to look in the rearview mirror and say, yeah, but, and they did, and that wasn't fair. And I'm going to hold, and it's at your own peril because it pulls your focus from looking forward, which is really the thing that we can still affect and change. Do you see this dynamic in your practice as well? Absolutely. And I think it's one of the biggest financial mistakes that people make is getting very, very focused on the here and now. And I get it. You're going through an uncomfortable time. There are a lot of changes happening. Most cases, people's expenses are going up dramatically, even if we're just talking about going from one household to two households. But most people are also looking at additional legal expenses, additional therapy expenses. You know, there are all kinds of increased costs when people are going through this transition in their life. Um, And so with that pressure and that trust of those increased expenses, it can feel very overwhelming and we can become very short-sighted when it comes to making financial decisions. So we really help people to look not just at the here and now, but really what does this mean for your future as well? And when Leah says she gets it, she gets it. Raised by a single mom, found yourself as a primary parent to your three children. Can you give us just a little context of what brought you to this work and what your own personal journey was that really informs how you support people going through divorce? Absolutely. And and it really did start with me as a kid growing up with a single mom who worked so hard uh, to support myself and my brother. My dad was pretty much out of the picture. I may have saw him once a year, um, but she really took care of us. And seeing the challenges associated with that, obviously, it was a very different time. Divorce wasn't anywhere near as common as, as it is today. Um, but I witnessed those challenges, but also what she was able to do and provide for us um, and really prioritize us because that was what was most important to her, making sure that we still had the experiences that, you know, really shaped our lives and all of that. Um, and I'm so grateful, but I also know it's possible because I was able to witness somebody doing that from a very early age. Um, so I went on, I never thought I was going to become a financial planner, never intended to become a business owner. Um, But I uh, had a master's degree in teaching and I taught for Baltimore City schools in in a very rough area. I was very overwhelmed in the classroom and decided it was time to leave, find something else. And I was swimming in student loan debt at the time. And I took a temp job at an investment bank. It was just an administrative assistant job. But when I walked in the door of that investment bank that first day, here I was feeling like an educated individual. I had my master's degree. You know, I was well into my career at this point. And I had no idea what people were talking about, Karen. They were using these words that I had never heard before. Um, You know, there was a whole language that I was unfamiliar with. And that is a big part of why I do as much financial education as I do for people, because I recognize that when you're going through a divorce, especially if you haven't been involved in the finances in the past, you're learning about your own financial situation for the first time. But then there's also this whole language that goes along with the divorce process and the terms, and that can all feel very overwhelming as well. Um, and so all of those experiences had a big impact on, on choosing to work with, with people who are going through these challenging times. But I've also had my own challenging transitions, as you mentioned in my bio. You know, we adopted three children of the foster care system. So we went from zero to three overnight. My ex-husband and I did. You can imagine the strain that that put on our budget. I mean, I I literally remember one day, Karen, sobbing in the car with my mom because I had to buy a pair of sneakers. And it was just the straw that broke the camel's back. It was like one more thing and I was done. Like I just couldn't do it. So anyway, um, what, what is great about my mom is she reminded me that like, yeah, we can handle a pair of sneakers. And, you know, if you just focus on the one thing that is in front of you, um, you know, you can put one step in front of the other and you're going to be okay. You're going to keep moving forward. Um, But it was all of those experiences that really helped me to understand how challenging these transitions, these big life transitions can be on our finances. And if you're not financially savvy, don't necessarily know the things to pay attention to or the big 
costly mistakes that can come up um, that, you know, you can really set yourself back many, many years unnecessarily. Mm. And I, I, and I want everyone who's listening to not fall into that cave of shame. Most of us are underskilled in this area. And, and as an educator, um, Mrs. Hadley, I would <laughs> guess that you weren't spending a lot of time teaching about IRAs and tax shelter and how to do your taxes. And right, we get, we get lots of other things, but we don't always get financial literacy. So raising your hand and saying, I need help is nothing more than a sign of wisdom so that you don't walk through this journey um, without being knowledgeable because they do have long-term consequences. If you were to drop into Great Lakes Divorce Financial Solutions on the website there, uh, Leah and her team have a wonderful getting divorced checklist. It's not the kind of checklist any of us want to have on our fridge, but some of us got to go there. And within that, just to highlight a few of these useful things, like there's all the just basic relevant personal information that's going to come up, but then also the financial assessments of incomes and debts and liabilities and, and getting things organized, life insurance, health insurance, disability. Um, can you go a little more into the importance of getting your ducks in a row, even before you call a lawyer and what ducks should we be getting in a row? Absolutely. And this is really important. It can, first of all, save you a tremendous amount in legal fees. And everybody is always worried about what is a divorce actually going to cost. So when there are simple things that you can do to keep your legal fees down, um, keep them in mind because they're so important, right? And one of them is getting your financial documents organized. And I work with lots of people who don't have complete access to their financials, which if you are in a situation like that, first of all, you are not alone. Um, and we can absolutely walk through that with you. But if you do have access to your financials, you want to start collecting your tax returns. You want to start collecting your pay stubs. Basically, anything that has a dollar sign on it, you're going to need that information when you get started with negotiations. But the other piece and where we really help people, Karen, before they ever talk to an attorney is looking at their financial situation and saying, what is a realistic outcome? You don't have to have that call with the attorney without having any thought about what you want in terms of that financial negotiation, what you want the outcome to look like. And a big piece of that is really thinking about what is the next chapter for you look like? You know, so many times people are so just you know, trying to keep things the same, the same, the same, because we're already experiencing this huge life change. But if you can embrace the fact that, hey, now it's time to prioritize yourself, what you value, what's most important to you, and start to look at your financials through that lens, now this starts to become a more empowering experience rather than focusing on the resentment and the frustration and whatever led to this moment. That's so great. We can work from an abundant state of mind and not just scarcity and what's being lost. Right. A couple of things, um, and I want to get into one specific explanation before our first break. You know, on this checklist, there's things like, is there a prenuptial agreement? Um, do you reside in a community property state? Have assets been listed? Is there a tax base of all assets been determined? Um, are there loans and liabilities that need to be shuffled around? Even credit card debt, miles, frequent flyer miles are actually an asset. And if assets are going to be transferred or sold, such as retirement accounts, or um, maybe it's something that has a loan against it, even our mortgage, our, our, our homes, if there's going to be a transfer, have tax consequences been calculated and explained to a client? So what does that even mean? And why should we care about it before we start asking our lawyer to do things for us? Yeah, this is such an important question that is very often neglected. And even, you know, a lot of the attorneys that I work with, and some are very financially savvy and some aren't, but they often create these spreadsheets of assets that have literally an account value on them um, and show just what is the kind of marital balance sheet, if you will. Um, but 
some of the things that are often missing when we're looking at those spreadsheets. And a big one is like for a brokerage account, for example, for any investments that you hold in a brokerage account, there's going to be a cost basis associated with the investments that you purchased over the years, or maybe you work for a company that's been awarding you stock over the years. There's going to be different tax lots associated with the investment that you hold. Knowing what that cost basis is, is really important when you're considering how am I going to divide these assets? And especially if you plan to liquidate them, maybe you want to liquidate assets and you know buy your next home or whatever the, the case may be. Sometimes people are liquidating assets to pay off debt. But if you don't know what the cost basis is, you don't know what the tax liability is going to be associated with that liquidation. And so it's really important to have that full statement that gives all the information about what was purchased at what what cost in the past. So that way, when you are negotiating these things, you know that I'm taking this investment, this is the cost basis. If I sell it, this is what the tax consequences are going to be associated with that sale. Now, the other big thing that comes up as it relates to sort of the after-tax versus pre-tax is those retirement accounts. You know, the traditional IRA is a pre-tax, tax-deferred asset. When you retire, you're drawing funds, you're getting uh, taxed as ordinary income on any funds that are coming out of the account. A Roth IRA, the funds are going in on an after-tax basis, they're growing tax-free, and when you withdraw funds in retirement, you're not getting taxed on the funds that you're withdrawing. So you can see that if you have two IRAs, one is a traditional IRA and one is a Roth IRA, let's just pretend they're both worth $100,000. On an after-tax basis, that Roth IRA is actually worth significantly more depending on the nature of your tax situation. And so being very clear on what each individual account is, who it's titled to, and what the taxation is on that account becomes really important in understanding what is an apples-to-apples comparison from a tax perspective of these different investment holdings or accounts that we hold as we're looking at how do we divide them in a fair way. And that's why it's so important to speak to an expert such as Leah, who, again, is going to know that question and what to look for, because I can guess that there are some of you in a a marriage that is imbalanced around financial savviness and financial literacy or even power and control. You may not even know where all the money is or have passwords to get to any of it. Um, but that is a, such a great example, this Roth IRA versus traditional and how easy it would be for a more savvy partner to say, you know what, there's a lot more money over here in this traditional. Look at the bottom line. You take that, honey, and I'm going to take the Roth, knowing full well that down the road, that teeter-totter of equalization and balance that we're trying to create during our divorce negotiations is going to be wildly out of balance if there is not someone looking at that on your behalf. So when we come back from our break, we're going to continue our conversation with Leah Hadley of Great Lakes Divorce Financial Solutions. And by all means, if you have questions coming up, we're going to take those today and get to the bottom of some of our financial woes. Stay tuned. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Before you call the lawyer, call the Good Divorce Coach. Give your family the gift of working with a certified divorce coach, a co-parenting specialist, and a mediator. Karen McNinney has the knowledge and skills to guide you through the full divorce journey before, during, and after. It's one thing to get divorced. It's another to be divorced. The Good Divorce Coach will teach you and your partner how to be divorced with less drama, less destruction, and less debt. Visit thegooddivorcecoach.com to get in touch with Karen. Relationships can be tricky. If you are looking for more from the relationships in your life, Tune in to Kissing in a Tree with host Kelly Nichols. Kelly is a body-positive sex and relationship coach, and she wants to share her knowledge to help you become a better partner and a better person. Kissing in a Tree, Fridays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. 
Welcome back to The Good Divorce Show with Karen McNinney. Have a question for Karen or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5788. That's 866-472-5788. Now, back to the show with Karen. Welcome back. Thanks for staying with me today as I chat with Leah Hadley, who is a nationally recognized financial empowerment expert and committed to providing personalized, compassionate financial guidance through life transitions, just like divorce. We were talking about certain tax treatments and things that we as sort of our average, ordinary, under undereducated when it comes to finances. And we dive into these huge contracts of marriage. And we always say it's so easy to get married. Half the time, we don't know what we're agreeing to. And then it's this really complicated process to get divorced. And we so often think of divorce as just a legal matter. Call your lawyers, everyone get in their corner and begin the battle, which is not at all what we profess here at The Good Divorce Show. And we know lots of ways that you can do it differently. There is a place for a skilled divorce lawyer, um, but it may not be your first call. Why is that, Leah? This is such a great question. And the biggest thing is when you contact an attorney, if you're unprepared, you're going to have all of the legal expenses associated with getting you prepared for having some of those conversations you need to have with your attorney. So you can either prepare on your own with somebody like myself, a certified divorce financial analyst, depending on what your needs are, maybe with a divorce coach, or you can be paying those legal fees for that time and that preparation. But the reality is you can get yourself organized. And I know I get a lot of pushback from people who maybe don't have access to all of their financial information. That's very common. Um, But start with what you have. Start with, you know, collecting all of those financial documents. We actually have a divorce resource toolkit right on our website that walks you through understanding and thinking about all of the financial aspects that ultimately have to be put onto a financial affidavit, depending on what state you're in, they may have another name for it. But regardless, you can collect all that information and really start to organize your thoughts, organize your priorities before you ever talk to a divorce attorney, and it'll make that conversation so much more productive. That's right. And that's why your divorce coach and your certified divorce financial analyst, folks like Lee and myself often partner together in the early stages with um, my preference is always the couple when I can get both on the same page and we're moving forward. And we've got uh, neutral mediators such as Lee and I helping with those early conversations and gathering things together so that it's not 52 emails back and forth with the lawyer and their associate. And then that's the admin, it's the paralegal, and it's $82 for every 10 minutes and every email just save yourself the grief and the expense get yourself educated and organized so that when you do need to call in a legal professional into the process which is not a requirement either people think that this is the only way to go judges want to keep you out of their courtroom lawyers want it to be simple the good ones they don't want it to drag on they don't want to and we folks like lee and i we certainly do not want to bleed your resources it is hard enough going from one household to two particularly when you're raising children but nonetheless there is a division happening leah and some things are going to just get cut in half and we try to preserve the overall financial health and stability of the family so that's both parents so that the children are getting that stability across homes. When we start to see winner and loser, usually everybody ends up losing. So what are the hallmarks of a fair settlement? And what we want to look back on as we then do this little short thing, which is getting divorced. And then we have the long thing, which is the being divorced relationship. What are the hallmarks of that fair settlement that we're searching? Yes, this word fair is this like oh it's word. loaded. It is in every divorce. I I you know often start when I'm working with clients and talk to them about, you know, ultimately what are they looking for? What do they want to accomplish? And I think probably nine times out of ten, they tell me I just want it to be fair. I just want it to be fair. Well, Karen, your idea of fair and my idea of fair may be very different. Um, but when we look at it through the financial lens, really what we're looking at are, you know. Can both parties support themselves once the divorce is final? 
What does income look like now? What will income look like in the future? So a lot of times people may have had some kind of an agreement between them that maybe one of the parties is going to stay home and help raise the family, maybe work at a job that earns less income intentionally or has less job stress so they can be more present and available for their children. Um, But that can create a a significant difference in income between the parties. It might be that that person is ready to take on more responsibility and have a higher income, but it's not going to happen overnight, right? Um, And so when we're looking at what is a fair settlement, that's where we start. We start with, you know, what is the income for both parties? What are the expenses for both parties? You know, who's kind of covering what? But we also look at what are the assets overall, the marital estate? What are the liabilities? What are the debts that are owed on the marital estate? state. And realistically, depending on how things evolve for these folks, what is this division going to mean for their future? And oftentimes, Karen, that means that the lower earning spouse may actually receive in an equitable distribution state a higher percentage of the assets, not 50%, but something higher than 50%, because they may not have the income to be able to put money away into retirement, to put money away into savings. Maybe they've come up with an agreement that, yeah, they can comfortably cover their expenses, but there's no additional. Whereas the higher income spouse might be able to still max out their retirement plan every year or you know, continue to save and things like that. So a lot of times when we're talking about a fair settlement, doesn't necessarily mean that it is an equal settlement. It could mean that we're looking at what does this mean for you today? But what does this mean for you in the future? And if we're looking at what it means in the future, a lot of times, depending on how things get divided, if the lower earning spouse doesn't have enough income in order to cover expenses on a regular basis, they are liquidating assets very quickly following the divorce in order to just maintain their standard of living. Well, you can see a few years down the road, how that is going to be a very disproportionate division when somebody's had to spend down those assets in that way, right? And so those are all the different things that we're looking at from a financial perspective when we're trying to figure out what a fair settlement is. We're also looking at things like, you know, is there a chronic health issue that maybe makes it so one of the spouses is not able to work um, or not able to work at a level that generates a significant income, right? Um, We're looking at what are the uh, children's needs. Lots of families have children with special needs, especially when the kids are very young. You don't know how those expenses are going to evolve over that child's lifetime, right? And so really unpacking all of the different financial considerations in order to determine what can ultimately be, I'm going to use the word reasonable settlement instead of fair, um, but what's going to work for both people so that one of them doesn't end up with like a situation where they're not able to cover their expenses, where the other one is still creating and generating wealth. Right. Creating and generating wealth. I see a teeter totter and it may be that at the time of the disillusion, the teeter totter is pretty balanced. But if we haven't done our homework and looked at some of these specific things, then very slowly and incrementally, one spouse continues to build wealth and has more, I guess, ability to retire even at a younger age or more comfortably, even once the kids have flown and grown. um, And that there's one spouse who started off behind the starting line at the time of decree is right. And that teeter totter keeps shifting. And it, 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 occurs to me that what you're speaking about is also just these retirements and these pension plans and how they get divided. And someone's got one from their twenties, their first job, and it got consolidated here and mine employer contributes. And, and like, same thing, we look at them and like, well, they all look kind of the same. How about you just take yours and I'll take mine. Well, I've got a little more than you. And, and where do we make the mistakes when it gets down to that negotiation around pensions? Yeah, the the pensions are definitely where I see the biggest mistakes. There's no question about it. There's a lot of misunderstanding about pensions. Every pension has its own rules. So I'm not going to sit here and tell you what the rules are because literally every time I'm working on a client, even in the state of Ohio, you know, obviously being located in the state, we work with lots of folks from Ohio. We work with clients all over the country. But in Ohio, there are multiple state pensions. Well, each of those state pensions has its own rules. So when I'm working with a client with one of those state pensions, I'm still refreshing myself on those state pension rules because, again, they are so unique 
for each individual pension and they're not static. They change too. And that's really important to make sure that you're, you're utilizing the most up-to-date information. But if somebody does have a pension, it is often the largest asset of the marriage. Very, very often the largest asset. And the reason people don't necessarily know that is because a lot of times when you're getting your pension statement, the account value that is being shown is the value of the contributions that have been made to the plan. But that's not actually the value of those future pension benefits that you're going to be collecting in retirement, right? A lot of times the other piece though that is on that statement is going to be that projected pension benefit. So at age 65, you'll get you know $5,000 a month or whatever that, that future projected benefit is. Well, maybe you're looking at the number 5,000 and you're thinking, well, that's not that much, right? But if it's $5,000 a month over 30 years, <laughs> you know, suddenly you can start to see where this becomes really valuable, right? And so it's really important to take the step if you are potentially negotiating an offset to the pension, as in one person is keeping the pension and one person might be keeping another asset as an offset to make sure that you have somebody calculate the present value of that pension. So what is that marital portion of that pension worth? And I know a lot of times when people are going through the divorce process, they're like, I don't want to pay another professional to value an asset when I have an account statement that I'm looking at, but it's really important to truly understand what the value is of that pension. Because a lot of times we're talking about some of these pensions are worth millions of dollars and there are people who will just say, oh, you can keep your pension. Not even having any any idea that it is actually the largest uh, asset of their own marital estate. Um, And so it is really, really important that people understand what the value of the pension is. But let's say they're not going to offset it. Let's say they're actually dividing the pension, that future pension benefit. It's also very important to understand all the pieces that have to get negotiated and documented and how they need to get documented. So for example, pensions you know, offer a single life annuity. So if I'm taking my pension and I pass away, that pension goes away. Or a joint and survivor benefit annuity, meaning that if I pass away and I still have a beneficiary listed on that pension that they could still collect. Well, you could see where if we've negotiated a pension, Karen, and I pass away and we have a single life annuity and you are planning on having that money in retirement, all of a sudden you're in trouble, right? Um, But you can protect it with a life insurance policy. You can protect it with a negotiation around taking that joint and survivor benefit. You know, there are different strategies to make sure that that does get protected But if you don't bring it up and your attorney doesn't bring it up and you're not thinking about it, they often get left out. Um, And so people can lose a lot of money that they thought they were going to have in retirement just because some of the aspects of the pension didn't get negotiated and documented appropriately. Oh, my goodness. Such essential information. And I have sat at those tables and that negotiation has occurred. Um, of just like, oh, it looks even, Stephen, that's fine. And that short-sightedness, particularly with investment, because we know that's the power of investment is what's going to happen to it over time. And if one spouse cannot catch up, you're always going to be a little bit imbalanced. And it it's almost like a slow erosion. You're not going to notice it right away, but 10, 20, 40 years down the way, there's going to be a drastic imbalance um, because of decisions you made at the time of decree. Absolutely. So all of this negotiating and money is hard enough without life throwing you another curveball. but you actually were sitting with the client and, and in the period of time that they were working through this already really stressful, challenging time, figuring out their finances, they found out that they had been, um, they were diagnosed with cancer in the midst of these negotiations. How do you navigate that? But then also to how do you prepare for that? And as you said, sometimes it's the children or one of the spouses that has other sort of extenuating needs or medical expenses that need to also be taken into account. Yeah, this was actually um, one of the most, I think, emotional moments that I've ever experienced with clients. I was a financial neutral in this case. And so I was sitting with both parties um, when one spouse disclosed to the other that they had this cancer diagnosis and were going to begin treatment very soon. Um, And so part of that was, you know, obviously 
managing the emotion in the room and helping them to really acknowledge that this was like a very vulnerable share, um, you know, in this context, but then also helping to really stop looking at the finances through that emotional lens and become very objective and action oriented. Because when somebody is going through something like cancer treatment, health insurance is like top of mind. It becomes very, very important. When people go through a divorce, a lot of times there is a change in health insurance coverage. Um, Sometimes that's the reason people maybe stay married for longer than they had intended. But what was really great about this particular experience and being able to work with these clients is first of all, they were sitting in the room together, having the conversation about finances together. Um, And like you, Karen, I think the more that we can get people sitting in the room together, having these conversations, hearing the same information, looking at the same information. You know, when we were talking earlier, you were mentioning that teeter-totter kind of image. We do uh, uh, graphs, illustrations for clients to see exactly what we're talking about in terms of numbers, because pictures really do tell the story a lot better than the numbers themselves or words can, right? Um, but what's so helpful about being with these folks is that it wasn't that the one spouse who needed to undergo the treatment was asking for anything of the other spouse, except for just sort of acknowledgement that this was going to be a difficult time and it might slow down the process and things like that. But what we were able to do together was really strategize. How can we make sure that you're getting the best treatment possible, that you're getting the coverage, health coverage that you need in order to continue to the treatment? And what is a reasonable timeline that we can execute on as it relates to negotiations and getting very specific, concrete and clear. Um, And I'm very fortunate. I still get to work with this client on an ongoing financial planning and investment management. Um, You know, they've gone, uh, unfortunately, the cancer returned. They've gone through treatment a couple of different times, but very healthy right now and living their best life, which is awesome. Um, And I love, I love witnessing those stories, but it was just such a powerful moment to be in the room with these two folks who are acknowledging like, this is a tough situation. This was a tough situation before. And now it's just, you know, got exponentially more difficult, not just in terms of negotiating and figuring out the divorce, but from a financial perspective, regardless of the situation. Um, but it was really powerful in seeing them being able to work together, being able to facilitate that conversation to help make sure that the treatment was taken care of, that we were still able to move forward with the dissolution as planned, just on a little slower timeline, um, and that everybody's needs were, were really um, acknowledged and cared for. Oh, what a beautiful team to support them through that. And uh, lovely to have a little bit of an epilogue around that story as well. We are chatting today with Leah Hadley of Great Lakes Divorce Financial Solutions. She is an accredited financial counselor as well as a certified divorce financial analyst. And when we come back, we're going to dive a little bit deeper into some specific places where people get it wrong so we can help you as you seek out your own good divorce. Stay tuned. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. As humans, we suffer when we believe we are not good enough. We are taught we must be better, look better, try harder, and achieve more. We cope with the stress and disappointment of life in ways that make us feel worse and keep us stuck in a cycle of unworthiness. We don't have to live this way. You don't have to live this way. Kirsten and her guests will share how self-acceptance and unconditional self-love can help you break this cycle and find freedom. Listen to Giraffe Tango Octopus, Freedom for Humans, with Kirsten Johansson, Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. It's time to unlock some of the best-kept secrets in health, wealth, and happiness. Are you ready to live your life to the fullest and hear insider tips from today's experts? Then tune in to The Forbes Factor with celebrity TV host, keynote speaker, and inspirational icon, Forbes Riley. She's a best-selling author and TV fitness expert, and you know her from QVC and HSN. Now, she brings her expert advice and guests to the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time for the Forbes Factor. We guarantee it will be the best hour of your week. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. 
Welcome back to The Good Divorce Show with Karen McNinney. Have a question for Karen or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5788. That's 866-472-5788. Now, back to the show with Karen. Hello and welcome back. I am Karen McNinney, your Good Divorce Coach, chatting with you today. Uh, We have on the show Leah Hadley, nationally recognized financial empowerment expert. She is a CDFA as well as an AFC and a mediator and whip smart when it comes to all things dollars and cents related to your divorce settlement, which is complicated. And there's a lot of hidden things that we just don't always see, especially when we're emotionally hijacked in our own process. Welcome back, Leah. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. We've been focusing on some of what I'm going to just call the financial blind spots. Um, Either we're underskilled or undereducated as adults. We've entered into this really big, important contract called marriage, and now it's unraveling and we have all these decisions to make. You actually had a situation where the decree was all but done. And it sounds like you went back into a document to, to really look at the client's separate property settlement. And it made a big change. Can you share that story anecdotally by way of parable, the do's and the don'ts, and and why we have to be really thoughtful and intentional through this process? Because they cast, these decisions cast a long, long shadow over your entire life and your financial stability. Absolutely. So I had a client who had been working with an attorney. Um, This is a seasoned attorney who's been doing this work for a very long time. Um, And sometimes people reach out to me to evaluate a proposal that might be on the table. So looking at what are they missing? What have they not considered? Things like that. Um, And this woman reached out to me to have the proposal evaluated. Um, And, you know, I ask a lot of questions. I ask a lot of questions about the origination of money. I ask a lot of questions about, you know, how people People get to the dollars that get listed on the various forms, you know, all kinds of questions. And what I found out was, you know, this woman had been a stay-at-home mom for really the duration of the marriage. Um, she had worked prior to marriage and had retirement assets that she had earned prior to the marriage, and they had gotten wrapped up into the marital estate. But she had actually not really worked much at all during the marriage, and so I couldn't understand how she had all these retirement assets that happened to be employer plans. So they weren't individual plans, they were employer plans. How could she possibly have these employer plans if she hadn't worked through the whole marriage? Well, it turns out that they were premarital assets that had a very clear claim. And this woman in particular, amazing, because this is very, very rare, actually had saved every single statement from the time that she had started in those plans. So she brought me the binders and we were able to illustrate um, that was well over $100,000 that got carved out of the marital estate, was not divisible as part of the marital estate, that she was then able to keep um, as her own separate property in the settlement. And this made a really big difference for somebody like this in particular, because like I mentioned, she hadn't been working throughout the entire marriage. She was in her 50s when we were working together and she was facing going back into the job market for the first time in, you know, 20, 30 years, whatever it was. And uh, that prospect alone was so overwhelming. And so knowing that it was going to be a little bit of an uphill battle for her to get back into the job market, being able to actually get her more assets in the divorce was so powerful for this particular person. I mean, it's always helpful to have more assets, but I think it really made a big difference in this woman's case. Um, And it literally was just asking the right questions and figuring out that this whole thing had been missed. Um, And I would love to tell you, Karen, that that's an anomaly, but it's not. You know, a lot of attorneys have a lot of cases. They're trying to get through them quickly. They may or may not be getting to know their clients well. You know, some people have different... um, requirements as it relates to financial documentation, what they're looking at, what they're not looking at, and you know whether they're just taking account values uh, that somebody fills out on a form or they're actually looking at the individual statements. So much of that varies. So it's really important for you to understand your own situation so that you can communicate that to your attorney so they can advocate for you because they don't know what they don't know. And so in this particular case, she would have missed out on significant assets had we not been able to figure that out for her. 
What a powerful story and reminder, lift every stone <laughs> and be clear about premarital. Would you just give us a quick 101 on premarital versus marital assets for those who are really at the starting gate? Absolutely. Now, this is going to vary a little bit from state to state. So it is very important to acknowledge the fact that what is considered marital or community property is going to vary from state to state. Okay. <laughs> but generally speaking, money that you brought into the marriage, so premarital assets, retirement accounts that you brought into the marriage, um, if you keep them completely separate, you don't commingle, you're not continuing to like move money in and out of those accounts, but you keep them completely separate, um, then they can potentially, there could potentially be a separate property claim in that those assets would not be divided as part of the marital settlement. Um, other examples might be inheritance that you receive if you keep that completely separate, uh, personal injury settlement, gifts that you receive. You Really, really important that you maintain the documentation for any of these things, that it's very clear that you as an individual are the recipient of a gift, for example, or you as an individual are the recipient of an inheritance. You want to keep that in your own name and again, not commingle it with marital assets. So not put money in, take money out, put money in, take money out, but really keep it as separate as you can. That makes it much simpler to, if you are dividing up the marital estate, carve that out and have it clearly be your separate property. And this is asking a lot of most of us because when we're in our marital bliss, we don't ever think about that we're ever going to divide it. And I hear you saying that it's just so morbid and why would we be planning for the end? And I just will remind you listeners, every time I get on an airplane, someone comes on board and gives me a talk about if this plane goes down, here's what you should know. Nobody wants that plane to crash, but every single time they're going to tell me where the exits are where my buoyancy belt is, how to get off this plane if things go wrong. And we all sit there and read our book and mostly ignore it. <laughs> but we have an awareness that we need to be prepared. And that doesn't mean it's morbid. It means that we're good, wise adults and that we're not living with our head in the sand when we look around and see that there is a very high rate of divorce. So keeping things separate. I love that you said this woman, cat. not only did she have all of her statements, they were in a binder. And she walked in and it sounds like my parents who are in their eighties, everything is in a binder where you can find it. I, right. They might be onto something. So real estate, certainly in the financial arena is a big one that comes up. And I know certainly in Western Montana, where I live, there's people who are now held hostage by their mortgage interest rates. How are we going to afford two different homes? Do we sell the one and um, even this idea that we're, I'm going to keep the marital home, but have we actually assessed like the marital home also needs a new roof and it needs a new furnace. And so once again, wise Leah, give us the big things we should always be thinking about when it comes to the marital property and real estate and how we can get around some of these, I can get you off the title, but not off the mortgage. And do we actually want to is that a good decision for the whole family to keep this mortgage for five more years, even though it means we're both entangled? What do we do? Yeah, this is such an interesting time to be having this conversation. You know, I've been doing this work for a while. And Karen, there were many years where it was very easy to say, I'm going to refinance the home at a lower interest rate. You're going to go out, take your equity, go buy a house. There's plenty of inventory, right? Yeah. That's not the times we're living in now, right? Now- And to be clear, because this is an evergreen podcast yeah. conversation, it is the summer of 2023. We have high interest rates. We have some housing explosions, some things that have gone very, very high in terms of cost. So it is not- quite the scenario you just painted. That's and right. yet we're still trying to divide these assets. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I will say that while interest rates are certainly much higher than they've been for years, if you look back historically, they're more kind of in average ranges. Um, and so where a lot of people are kind of waiting with bated breath for interest rates to drop, um, I, I hope you all are right, but I don't know that, that you will be. And so I think we have to be realistic about the situation that we're looking at right now. Now, as a financial professional, my bias is always to have people clear boundaries when it comes to finances. So that means 
really clearly dividing as much as can be divided within that divorce settlement agreement. So that way there is no ongoing financial entanglement if it can be avoided at all. But what I'm hearing more and more and more is people wanting to continue to jointly own the home or you know stay on the mortgage in order to keep that low interest rate. Um, and I get it. I really, I really do understand where it's coming from. I was literally just on a call with somebody right before you and I were talking, Karen. And one of the things that we talked about was first thing I want her to do is call her mortgage company and find out is there an assumption of liability clause? Sometimes if you jointly own a mortgage, you can't assume the liability of the mortgage without having to refinance. That's sort of the ideal scenario for those people who have that two and a half, three percent interest rate right now is if you can just keep the existing mortgage in place and get the other person's name off of it, you know, that gives you a lot more options than having to refinance at the higher interest rate. Now, sometimes people do need to cash out in order to be able to give their spouse the equity owed from the home. So sometimes that assumption of liability isn't enough to actually resolve the issue uh, around the house, but it can be incredibly helpful. So if you are somebody who is looking at potentially retaining the marital home, you're both on the mortgage, call your lender, find out if there is an assumption of liability clause in your mortgage, and if so, what's required in order to assume the liability of that mortgage. But I also always encourage, Karen, people to think about a couple of other options, at least two other options than the marital home. Because so many of us have this emotional attachment to the marital home. Maybe it's where we raised our children. Maybe we're just going through enough upheaval in our lives and we don't necessarily want to move on top of that, you know, whatever the reason is. But unfortunately, that is one of the biggest financial mistakes that people make is to stay in a house that they really can't afford. And maybe as a a couple, you could afford it. Although I have to tell you, there are a lot of people, Karen, when I'm doing these analyses, I find that even as a couple, they really couldn't afford the home. So forget about trying to do it as an individual, right? Um, But let's say that you really want to stay in that marital home and figure out a way to make it work. I encourage you to look at least look at two other scenarios. I was working with a woman in Virginia and we did this analysis and she found out that if she moved into a townhome that was literally, I think it was like two miles, it was within the same school district, which was very important to her. Um, she was going to save from a cash flow perspective, a thousand dollars a month. Now this is somebody who's becoming a single mom to have an extra thousand dollars a month in cash flow versus staying in that marital home, being able to stay in the same school district it was a no brainer because if she had stayed in the marital home, she would have been stressed every single month, not only trying to keep up with the mortgage, but the home maintenance, you know, uh, in, in this particular case, her spouse handled like the, the yard maintenance and things like that. So there's going to be additional expense associated with just being able to maintain the home. But when we looked at, well, what does this other option look like? Does it have enough bedrooms for you and your children? You know, what's it going to look like from, um, she was renting. So what is the rent going to look like? What can you do with that extra thousand dollars a month that you're going to have? And how does that change your financial picture going forward? And it really became a no brainer, but to just consider, just consider at least two other options, get very clear on, okay, if Um, I decide to go with this option and let's say renting. I always encourage people to at least look at renting. You're going through this huge life change, also making a fairly permanent decision at the same time around purchasing can backfire because you might decide that it wasn't the right decision for you at that time. So at least consider renting. And I always get the pushback. Well, I'm just throwing money out the door if I am renting, you know, whereas I could be putting it into equity in the house. Well, maybe... But in this particular case, the woman that we were looking at, not only was she stronger in cash flow by $1,000 a month, but she was also able to take the equity that she got from the sale of that house and invest it. So she has that investment growing. She's got an additional $1,000 a month in cash flow. She is in a much more comfortable financial situation than if she had just stayed in the house. And again, I get the emotional attachment. I was actually stuck with the marital home when I went through my own divorce. We divorced in 2000 and... uh, Isn't it nice we forget? (laughs) For those of you who are just like on the bathroom floor (laughs) looking for a a glimmer of light, it does get better. And we forget these thresholds of time. So 2015 Um, and you got stuck. 
I got stuck because we had bought our home in 2007. So right at the top of the housing market in 2008, all the housing prices fell out and we were still underwater on our mortgage by the time we were going through our divorce. So somebody was getting stuck with a liability. They weren't getting stuck with an asset. You know, we didn't have the money to come up to be able to pay off the mortgage and, um, and to deal with the house. So different housing markets have different challenges associated with them. You want to be very realistic about the housing market that we're in right now and know that depending on where you live, there's not a lot of housing inventory. So if you are planning to sell and then buy, you may find that the options, at least in the area that you want to be in, may or may not be available to you. That's one piece of it. Home valuations have gone up so much that property taxes have also gone up significantly. And we already talked about how interest rates are higher on mortgages. Doesn't necessarily mean that you can't do it, but it does mean that you want to be very realistic about it. But the other thing you want to be realistic, because I see keep seeing clients doing this, is they're like, oh, well, I'm just going to keep my spouse's name on the mortgage until interest rates drop. Well, I hope interest rates drop and you're able to refinance at a lower rate or at the same rate or what have you. But I already mentioned that interest rates are actually historical average, not necessarily high from a historical perspective, certainly higher than what we've had in recent years. And so they feel really uncomfortable for a lot of people looking at refinancing, but are they going to drop tomorrow? I don't have a crystal ball. And we know that there are times when it's very easy to sell a house. And there are times when it is very difficult to sell a house. The housing market is cyclical like every other market. And so just being very realistic about whatever agreement that you're entering into and having those what if conversations, what if I can't sell it when I say I'm going to sell it and get your name off the mortgage when the kids go to high school or whatever, you know, what are we actually going to do in practicality? Because that's how you're going to avoid those future issues. If you're not able to completely untangle financially as part of the divorce, making sure that you've had those conversations, you've you've documented it, you have clear communication around what the plan is and what the contingency plan is becomes so important. So important. And I think in general, both Leah and I would advise to sever as much as possible. Right. So if you're working in a business together, who wants to be an employee of their former spouse? Sometimes that's magical land, but it can get complicated down the road. If you co-own a business together, can someone be bought out, whether by the other partner or someone else externally? Um, same with healthcare needs. And, and I think in general, certainly as a divorce coach, I would say one of the biggest mistakes people make is they stay too long. Mm. And I like to encourage people to leave while they're still love. Hmm. which is a complete paradigm shift. Don't blow up the whole damn house, sit down at the kitchen table and come to the recognition that this marriage is complete. And we now need to find a graceful runway that is compassionate and and kind. And as you stated, Leah, where there's financial stability for both spouses, for both co-parents, particularly when there's kids connected to this story, we want everyone doing well. Right. Well, this has been such an enriching conversation with Leah Hadley, um, founder of Great Lakes Divorce Financial Solutions, certified divorce coach herself. And can you just give us a, a few more resources of where we can find you, what we'll find, and what would encourage people who are just stepping onto this train called financial divorce overwhelm? Absolutely. And I do love to provide free resources in particular. So at a minimum, I encourage you all to go to greatlakesdfs.com. The blog is extensive as it relates to financial topics. That is also a great place to download our divorce checklist. Um, And that again, it's all about just getting clear and organized to help you save money on those legal fees, but also give you that clarity in your mind because it can feel very chaotic when you're facing all of these changes. And so again, that checklist is really straightforward to get you really clear. We also have a divorce resource toolkit. That toolkit is really designed to help at a high level with all the different aspects of divorce. So for example, You know, there's lots of different ways people go about getting divorced, whether they choose mediation, they choose litigation, understanding the options that are available to them, walks you through several videos that help you with the financial aspects, understanding where your income is coming from, when it's coming, how it's coming, what your expenses are, how to think about how your expenses are changing, your assets, what you own, your liabilities, what you owe, walking you through all of that. But there's also 
tools on how to negotiate well and some of the challenges your children will be facing. So it's it's really a well-rounded toolkit of all of our most popular resources. But be sure to get on our newsletter list. And if you download the checklist, you will, because we do free workshops, we do all kinds of programming and really helping people to feel confident in the financial decisions they're making in their divorce. Wonderful. Thanks again to Leah Hadley today, founder of Great Lakes Divorce Financial Solutions. Please take a look online and find those other resources. And remember, everything will be okay in the end. And if it's not okay, it's not the end. Thanks for listening to today's episode of The Good Divorce Show. We hope today's episode has helped you find a kinder, more sensible, and less expensive path through the divorce journey. Until we talk again, have a beautiful week.